Hey, this is Leave the Bottle, episode 037, A Pot to Pee In. Anything exciting happened to anybody this week that you want to talk about? Mm. I mean, other than my little Ebola incident? Yeah, let's hear it. Oh, no, that's... <laughs> Other than that? that no, you don't want to hear about yeah, that. Okay. One of the reasons that I'm blacked out, so you don't see the uh, large... The rash? Sores. I know. It, there, there's some things that are just not funny. You know what? I was actually going to... It's funny that you guys just brought that up because uh, everyone's getting all touchy about Ebola jokes. And yet, you know what? I get it. You know, thousands of people in Africa have died, and it is a tragedy, and nobody wants it, and we certainly don't want it, you know, anywhere close to where we live, obviously. But at the same time, it's like this, it's become this collective thing that you can't joke about it at all. I mean, even just minutely. Otherwise, you know, people get all, oh my God, don't you realize that, you know, it's a horrific disease? It's like, yeah, it is. Does that mean it's completely off limits to humor? Uh, I got worse than that. Well, yeah, you joke like, about beheading. No, I, um, yeah, you have to understand my middle name is Too Soon. <laughs> <laughs> too Tsunami. It's it, I, it, it's everybody's so freaking touchy nowadays. It's like you can't even joke at all. Well, it depends on the context. Uh, well, yeah, it depends on the context. But you know what? Everybody's so interested these days in monitoring every last thing that you have to say, write about, you know, post on social media, you know, whatever. And it's like everybody's just like ready. They got their forks and knives out. Is there something specific that happened to you? Did you make a comment, or were you in a thread where somebody made a comment about a well, joke? I, I, or yeah, I, I, where is this happening? Give me a little specific. Okay, well, of, of me personally, I posted um, last week. It was the Dallas uh, Dallas Weekly newspaper or something. It, it was uh, the Dallas Weekly, and it's it just so happened it's a weekly paper in Dallas, and it just so happened that the week of September twenty fifth. To October 1st. It's like a, a, a doings, what's going on in the area, things that are going to be happening and so forth. Well, the cover of it happened to be, it has a big uh, uh, map of Africa. And it mm -hmm. says, Taste of Africa comes to Dallas. You couldn't have picked a more yeah. perfect <laughs> week for a Taste of Africa comes to Dallas than last week because, you know, you had the uh, Ebola patient that's currently in critical condition in a Dallas hospital who and now they have what about a hundred people quarantined in the Dallas area because he had contact with them. The hospital sent him home, even though he was symptomatic and told them where he'd been. It was a software snafu in their software that sent him home for two days. So I just found it very ironic as a lot of other people did that, you know, the taste of Africa comes to Dallas happens to be the same week that Dallas has a guy with Ebola who had just come that week from Africa. And I'm, I caught a little bit of, you know, eyebrow raise at a couple of the places where I posted it. And it was just like it was firmly tongue in cheek. And it's like, you know, get the fuck over yourself. You know, <laughs> at some point in time, it's like go away. Don't don't I don't need any reprimands about, you know, too soon and all that kind of stuff. I'm fully aware, you know, of of the horrific nature of the disease and in itself. And it just and like yesterday, Jacksonville Jaguars mascot 
uh, as a bust off to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who their fans have the terrible towel. He, the mascot made a sign that says towels create Ebola or towels, something to do with towels creating Ebola. Now he's catching a lot of flack. I wouldn't be surprised if he loses his job after 18 years for putting that, for holding that sign up. Uh, and it's, when do we become such a touchy feely society that we can't even make light of anything without like getting permission from the politically correct police? Social so media handed over our lives to the perpetually indignant. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, there's that's the whole thing about this Internet uh, dingus is that, uh, you know, you start manipulating it. And you say something, and you have uh, potentially an audience of millions, even though we all know, you know, what, 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 will, what can go wrong will, so the wrong people will be the ones who see this. But I was just going to make a slight difference between, um, yeah, I mean, I get the principle that you're talking about, and it's totally true. People are, you know, move on if you're not happy with it. Don't start right. getting down on somebody else for it, okay? Um, but... There's a difference between jokes about something like that and if you're sitting at dinner with a family who just lost somebody to the disease, obviously you're going to keep your mouth shut and not do that. That would not of be course. funny. Of course. Yeah. But There's an old if, saying about never mention rope in the house of a hanged man. Yeah, I mean, and, and how true is very true, isn't it? I mean, but besides that, uh, yeah, I mean... I was joking about beheading jokes because I was going to say, uh, there's an old saying in my family, you know, the one about the shoes, met a man with no shoes. Well, uh, I once was sad because I had no no hat, and then I met a man who was happy with no head. (laughs) (laughs) We all have put our foot in our mouths, and and I think that's a very different situation. Making an inadvertent, inappropriate comment where afterwards you're like, Oh my God! What did I? What was I thinking? I actually I won't go into great detail about it, other than to say that I had a, a horrific instance of that about six, seven years ago, where I made a joke about uh, uh, it was like a situation where I was kind of exasperated, and I just jokingly said, "Oh my God, I'm going to go hang myself," and inadvertently, not even thinking. The person who I was with, that their one of their children had actually done that to themselves. Freudian like, slip, maybe, yeah. Within no, no, because that's a term I've used a million times. Uh, but they had just done it within the last couple of years that's before awful. that. And as soon as I said it, I was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" It had nothing to do with that person. It was it was completely unrelated to that. And I instantly felt horrified. They handled it very well. They just kind of pretended they they didn't hear it. But, you know, to this day, obviously, it's something that bothered me so greatly that I still touch on it every once in a while in my head. Um, but that's very different than, than making a, you know, a joke about, uh, I don't know, posting a magazine cover of Ebola. And, and just, I don't know. It, it's no big deal. All it's, right. it, 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 it's like what stories Innocent. You know, it's like they're perpetually indignant. And I don't know, has the internet really given us, has it really, give, is that like the Red Bull that has been given to us on the internet now where we drink this Red Bull of indignation yeah. and then we can just spew forth, go the masses. I think that's a great, uh, that's a great call. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I've got an audience of uh, half dozens. So I can <laughs> say offensive things. Obscure. Yeah, of, hey, really uh, 
horrible he- happens to me. Heinlein said obscurity is the refuge of the incompetent in uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. I'll take that. <laughs> I like that. They also say yeah. that about jazz, which I do not uh, agree with. Anyway, um, all right. I had a couple of ideas, unless there's anything further of the news of the week or anything that's... Has anybody had anything happen to them? I'm trying to think back what happened to me this week. It's always cheerful to start off a, uh, a conversation with uh, Ebola. Yeah, that's a Ebola, good one. Ebola, yeah. Well, well I Ebola. bought some... It's an icebreaker. It's an I, icebreaker. I bought some red... <laughs> I made... Oh, yeah, Stuart, we were talking about satay uh, before the mic went on. Um, I bought some uh, red curry paste because they have all these Asian stores and all these different pastes. You can make it at home, but I'm not ready for that yet. I, w- I don't think I can get the peppers anyway. But uh, so now I have red, yellow, and green curry paste. So I immediately had to make some satay. I looked on the net. That's what the internet's good for, recipes. If you have no idea of the ingredients or something, uh, the only problem is there's too many recipes. But, you know, you go through and give uh, Martha Stewart a pass and skip uh, <laughs> and go to, go to some funky thing that's just somebody's blog that's where all the text is centered. And they have like the mailbox the mail jumping out of the mailbox. So, you know, it's like from 1930, website from 1930. Uh, anyway, so what I, and I also, I do not like using the uh, ratios that they give. So I look at it and I go, okay. So the satay has peanut butter in it, no emulsifiers, just uh, natural peanut butter. So naturally I couldn't find that here. But well, the peanut butter itself. Well, you, oh, no, no, peanut butter is... Peanut butter is ubiquitous here, but I was in this. I didn't have any. Uh, what do they call it? Well, I guess in a health food store, no. There's there's a brand, right? Smucker's makes it where there's nothing in it, no salt and no uh, no emulsifier. So the oils at the top. Well, that's the stuff that when I've tried that in the past, and it makes a freaking mess every time you go to use it. Yeah, well, like, you have you end up with the oils all over your shirt. No, which means no, your you, shirts are your shirts ruined. No, you turn the jar upside down after you buy it until you open it and then stir it. But yes, I don't need to play. With, I'm true. not five years old. I don't well, this, need to play with my food before I eat it. No, but this is this is for at any rate this is for to make the recipe. <laughs> I I didn't I couldn't find that, so I used regular peanut butter. Uh, and anyway, it's got peanut butter, it's got wine vinegar, and wine vinegar. Uh, obviously, yeah, yeah, wine vinegar, and coconut milk, and I'm missing the main ingredient. Of course, then you can screw around and put curry powder, or you can make your own, but I use the paste, because the paste is really good. You just take a tablespoon of that paste, dump it in there, melt it in the coconut milk, and then I guess if you really want more garlic, you could add it. But I think there's probably garlic in the curry. Anyway, I made a big, big batch of that. Of course, big mistake because my wife, uh, first of all, uh, she left. But I thought, oh, this is going to be great when she gets back Friday. We're going to have. So I made this big batch. I bought. Okay, this is where I'm going to lose you guys. I bought uh, pork chop and I bought some chicken, and I cooked both of those separately just in case she didn't want any sauce. Blah blah blah, so on. Uh, and then during the day. Or that night I had the dinner, which I had uh, the, the cut-up pork. Don't get sick now. And um, the next day I had even more. And it was just, it's so good. I just love satay is the, one of the points I'm getting to. It's fantastic. It's the best invention of the planet. And you can eat it with anything. You can eat it with fish. You can eat it with non-animal, like uh, tofu. Frankly, I think I could just have satay and rice or even on potatoes or something. It doesn't matter. I just love that taste of hot and peanut butter. And in an emergency, I use that sauce. What's the Sri Lanka sauce? No, what's the name of that stuff? Spiriyaka sauce. Sri, Sriracha. 
Thank you. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I, I can just, in an emergency, I can just put peanut butter on bread and then dump a bunch of that sauce on there and call it satay for myself. But anyway, the, bo- the point of this story is that I get the text, you know, from her saying she's going to be home, and I'm thinking, oh, this is great. I got the rice is all ready to go. We had, I had some vegetables and stuff, and like uh, two hours before she's supposed to arrive on the train, she says, I have terrible food poisoning. I can't, can't eat anything. I don't want any dinner. Plus, she almost fainted on the train, and she had, you know, the both ends syndrome that you get when you're really, really sick, which, boy, I had that in Tunisia. And it's, it's one of those things, it's like bad seasickness, where you go, just let me die. <laughs> I'm sure she's delighted that you've announced it to the world. Well, the point is, <laughs> nobody knows. Who, but the point is uh, that uh, she's just barely getting better now, and she's gone again. So I had this huge batch of satay, which I finally finished last night. And what do you think I did with the empty container before washing it? Anybody guess? I'm I, afraid. I didn't pee in it or anything like that. You licked it. No, I didn't lick it. <laughs> I did uh, sop up everything with bread, though. Okay. Then I made a huge new batch with my new red curry paste. So, so that's what I'm having for lunch in a few minutes with some tofu this time, because the chicken has. Okay, we'll uh, forgive you then. All right. So, the tofu is the part. And and Stuart, you mentioned uh, you mentioned you mentioned a fish sauce that they put in. I can't remember. You were saying something about Thai restaurants. Yeah, they use a uh, uh, I think it's called nam plong or something like that. Yeah, if and if, if in our, it's a, n- it's the old Roman garum. It might even be non fuck nam fuck or something like that. Nice. Yeah, I can't remember which one they call it in which language because the Vietnamese use the same thing. And, and but but uh, what it, because I threw some in just because you mentioned it and I know you hate that stuff so I figured I'd throw that into my new satay as well. It's salty. It's very salty, uh, but the fish are fermented, so there's a certain funk that uh, apparently goes with it. But the fish are caught on the coast of Vietnam, so or Thailand. Sorry, Thailand. Well, maybe it is Vietnam now that I think of it. Hey, Charlie, don't surf. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> nice. anyway. Uh, so traveling and eating is always uh, is always a fun adventure. Traveling in general is a fun adventure. Looking forward to that. So, speaking of traveling, great segue. Does anybody have any great uh, airplane stories of uh, recent centuries? Oh, I was uh, going to have a uh, have a, a, a food as a vegetarian travel story. You can do. That's great. This was uh, this was in France, <laughs> no. which is not surprising that one runs into uh, humorous situations as a vegetarian. It's there. difficult. Yeah. 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 We um, mostly I did okay. I mean, if I explained to the chef, and you know, we were sort of careful about where we went and explaining to the chef, I would get some really quite excellent food. I was uh, up in, and here's the exception. I was up in Bone with. Uh, a woman who at the time worked for uh, Bocuse and uh, we're having, you know, trying to find a place for lunch. Uh, here's a likely looking spot. We went in and uh, as usual, with scan of the menu, there's nothing on there. A vegetarian yeah. can eat. So I did what I usually do, which is ask the waiter, you know, is there something the chef can do? And the waiter just stares at me and says, no, there is nothing the chef can do. Are you eggless, okay. by the way? Well, I guess. I noticed huh? that there is, I'm sorry? Are you eggless? 
eggless vegetarian? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, oh. as, as far as I'm aware, they don't kill the chicken. That, you're, in fact, you're leading into the point of the story. Oh, okay. Because I, was... I, I noticed that there are some dishes on the menu here uh, that involve eggs. Can mm-hmm. the chef fix me an omelet? And the waiter just grimaces at me and says, no, the chef cannot fix you an omelet. That's so weird. I said, okay, would it help if I went back into the kitchen and taught the chef how to make an omelet? <laughs> <laughs> at that point, the, the, the woman I was with said, Stuart, let's just leave because even if they make you something, there will be a bodily fluid in it. And I don't know which one, Yeah, but it is not something you're going to want. Nice. So did you leave? You, did, you left? You didn't show the friends. chef? You didn't show the chef how to make an omelet? No, no, I never got my chance, and I thought that would have been uh, uh, rich. But, the, I, you know, I've been living in this country for 30-plus years, and I've never been in a place that couldn't make an omelet, except uh, maybe some extremely weird place like, uh, I'm trying to think of any restaurant that wouldn't have eggs in the first place. But, you know, what's really hard to get is gluten-free. Um, mm. We have a friend who gets very ill uh, that's a whole other topic, by the way, which is the people, everybody's gluten crazy now. It's, <laughs> you know, I mean, you are, it is, a, it is a condition. I mean, and you can get it and you, maybe you're born with it, whatever. Some people are, but it's apparently, it's extremely rare. But I do know somebody who has it. And it's she, not rare in the U.S. at this point because every other well, everybody's got it. Yeah. in the U.S. now is gluten free. You know, if you fart wrong, you got it. You 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 need to be gluten free. It's just it's. Well, we it's had a, kind of this side discussion on this yeah. a few episodes ago. It's yeah, absolutely no, we ridiculous at this point. It's ridiculous. I mean, if you have you know cilio, uh what's it, cilia, celiac disease, celiac disease. Okay, fine. But you know, other than that, it's a again, it's a member of the club. I need here's my card. I'm a member of the club. You know, I'm I'm gluten free too. Social signaling. You know, oh, oh, I got a little belly ache when I, you know, when I had, you know, some potato chips. Ooh, I got to be gluten free now. It's it's, it's fucking ridiculous. It I'm is. Sorry. It, it is. is. It's just like oh, you had an upset stomach because you ate too much. You're not gluten free. That's actually pretty common in the United States, from what I hear. Well, yeah, I have no, another no, person no. now. If you go to the grocery store, it's like you know, it's become this huge cottage industry up and down the aisles. Gluten free this, gluten free that. Oh yeah, well they uh, just, industry latched onto it because there's something they found there. A market of suckers. Yeah. Have you ever had gluten free pizza? Actually, uh, we make our own pizza every weekend, and uh, there there is the the one of the doughs that we can get is. Uh, Gluten free. We don't do it, but we've tried it, and it was it wasn't anything I'd want to have again. I've added gluten to dishes. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to make when I'm trying to make these hamburger patty type things. Which they're delicious, but they don't stick together properly. And one of them, so one of the mass murder at a lot of family gatherings. One, of the, one of the United States. <laughs> one of the one of the suggestions I saw somewhere was to add gluten, which I did, and that did not work. It didn't taste any different or make anybody ill. Uh, but the other thing was um, I also tried to add a very fine uh, soy inside it. And that also didn't. And I thought that would be a great texture. There's no way my recipe has lentils and uh, red beans in it. It's, and they're delicious. They're really good. But I cannot get a, a, a meaty texture to it. I just ha- have not figured that out yet. It's funny. Uh, yesterday, I made a, a crock pot because it's getting that time of year now. I made a yeah. crock pot of vegetarian chili, and mm. I used this uh, this uh, soy uh, based uh, Southwest burgers that I crumble up as instead of meat. And uh, you know, it's so funny. You mentioned that to people, and there's a segment of people who are like, "Wow, that sounds really good," because I'm really known for my chili. 
And then there's other people who are instantly without ever having tried it because there's not actually hamburger in it. Or, you know, like a lot of people use turkey now to be supposedly a little bit healthier. Uh, but they're instantly like, oh, my God, you use you use fake hamburger. It's like, yeah. And I've given a taste test to people who had no idea and they couldn't tell the difference. I told them after the fact. Yeah, well, that, wasn't meat. that wasn't meat that you were eating. But it's so funny, the reaction. It's like there are certain things that suppose, I guess, that you're not supposed to mess with food wise. That if you do, it's like it's, you know, it's like you're, you know, blasphemy. And that's yeah. one of them is making chili and not using actual meat within the chili. Well, as long as you don't call it chili con carne, it's okay. Right. You have to call it chili <laughs> right. sin carne. That's exactly. Fine. It's, it's funny, though. I mean, food, we went from food being something to survive on as a species for, you know, tens of thousands of years. To, it's got, I mean, in my lifetime, I'm 52, and in my lifetime, it has completely turned the whole meaning behind food, the whole processing of food, the whole uh, uh, the whole lifestyle of food. It has just taken on this entire life that's just, uh, call me uh, uncouth, but I don't get a lot of, a lot of what's behind what's become now of food to humans. I just... There is a lot of social signaling again involved yes. in this. Yes. A lot of it. Oh. Yes. Actually, it's interesting. I, I was in a chili contest last year. And you, know, you have to understand that I live you know, in the Chicago-Milwaukee axis. And this is you know, meat central. So you guys use sausage in yours? Well, we, I used all sorts of you know, soy analog. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm kidding. Like this. And, and yeah, 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 made, made, made a very nice chili. And the whole tasting and judging was done blind by panel of judges and um uh, this was sponsored by my corporate employer and i won uh, you know all these you know, very big meeting you know mike ditka types um yeah I, I i won this uh the guy and there was a prize involved and of course the guy who came in second i mean he was like two points behind me was a uh, a chemist who works for me who's palestinian and when his results were announced he just grimaced and he says Fucked by the Jews again. <laughs> oh my that's, God, uh, that's, that's that's funny. Story. <laughs> I'll have to hear that in replay because my uh, headphone battery just died. Oh my God, that was that was the funniest line yet. Holy cow, that is funny. <laughs> Again, it gets back also, you know, ties things back into that whole um, uh, perpetual indignant indignation uh, yes. political correctness thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, there's going to be people who are not going to like that joke. It's like, oh, come on now. That was really funny. <laughs> well, Stuart yeah, and it was I okay have... okay for him to say it. Of course. I'm yeah, also... well, okay for him to say it, but if you said it, oh, boy. Stuart and I have <laughs> yeah, also... On the other hand, I've said to him before that the Palestinians are the Cleveland Browns of the Middle East. I don't even get that. Yeah, you have to, I think you have to be you know, into sports, yeah. sports snob. So. Of course, of course. Yes. It was funny. It was interesting that we got on that all of a sudden. I watched this uh, great. My wife and I watched this uh, great movie last night on Netflix. It's an Israeli movie. It's it's uh, subtitled called The Attack. And what it is, it's uh, um, an Arab physician uh, who an award winning physician at a hospital in Tel Aviv. And there's a, a terrorist bombing while he's at work. And he's working on a lot of the uh, mostly children who have come in, who have been killed and maimed and so forth. 
it turns out his wife is the suicide bomber who did it. And the repercussions from it and the shunning by him from like Israeli society and his his first initial disbelief that it was his wife and then his uh to, to, and then his quest to find out what would lead her on that kind of a path. Uh, it was actually quite a fascinating, interesting, and completely different than what we were just talking about. But it just all of a sudden came into my head when you were talking about Palestinian and Jew. And uh, it was actually quite an interesting movie and uh, highly recommended. Uh, interesting topic. And Can we get of, back uh, to sports? Huh? Can we get back to sports? Yes. No, all kidding is all kidding, or kidding not aside. Um, what do you guys think? We were talking about per- political correctness and all this shit. Um, and even though I'm not into sports, I hear that uh, the Cleveland Indians have been getting a lot of shit in the last six months or so about More that. So no, the, or, is it, or was it the Braves? I'm sorry. All no, of these most, names. Mostly the Washington Redskins. Oh, the Redskins, right. So right. the Redskins, then it went to the Indians, the Braves. You know, where do you I'm guys? Actually being what in, do you think? Being, being a native First Nation myself um, of the Mohawk Nation, I'm absolutely in favor of uh, ending the nonsense of having teams, especially the Redskins, named that. So like they should change the name. Well, I'm sorry. I'd like to have them change their name to the Jews. The Washington Jews. <laughs> you know, hey, it's our turn. There's all kinds of teams in sports named after Indians. Yes. Okay. There, I really feel very discriminated against. And oh. damn it. <laughs> yeah, because damn. it's it's. And yeah. I promise I won't even be offended if they call them the Shylocks. It's nice. Fine. Nice. <laughs> that I don't see happening. But you know what? It would never happen. And for the exact same reason that today, if a team started today. There would never be, there would no chance in the world would a new sports team start up with the name Redskins. Never happening. So if it couldn't happen now, it's not okay that a racist owner, and he was an, a Marshall, George Marshall was an ardent racist of the first order. Um, it's not okay that just because it was done in 1933 that it's allowed to perpetuate now, in my opinion. But, why do these, do we know why people chose these names? Well, originally the team started off as the Boston Braves, and then it moved to Washington. And the the owner of the uh, at the time um, he was uh, he was as racist as as it gets. I mean, his, yeah. But wait, wait, wait. Let me interrupt you for a second. Yeah. It's not because you're racist that you call a team the Redskins. That makes no sense at all. No, no, no. I'm talking about the mindset. You have to understand the mindset that goes behind the naming of it. That that the person who's naming it has no consideration at all to what potential ramifications are. And yes, I get it. In 1933, it was a very different world. Social sensibilities were very different from today. Get all of that. Um, yeah, they were they were different to the extent that you were complaining about 10 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, get over yourself. No, 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 no. This is not about righteous indignation. This is oh. it's, it's about perpetuating on... It's about people saying... Well, you know, that's the way it was always done. Well, there's lots of instances of society where we we did things for many decades and centuries. Yeah. And then we realized, you know what? It wasn't right. We need to right the wrongs, whether that's, you know, giving women the vote, whether that's allowing blacks to ride in the front of the bus, whether that's, allow, you know, allowing the disenfranchised to be able to vote. You the don't close. just say, well, because it was always done that way, no. you know, what's the big deal? No, and I have a close... Time, you do have to stand up and say, you know what? 
what was originally done was 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 uh, was not right, and so you correct it. I, you know, you're you're right. I have a closer analogy though than because when you talk about you can't compare people sitting on a bus actual rights with a name. Okay, the name is the name, but there was a case in California. Uh, Stuart, you may remember. I think it was a chain, right? Sambo's restaurant. I was a yeah, manager of Sambo's. So yeah, Sambo's I, I, had to had I went to, to the one in go ahead. Santa Barbara. Yeah, and no, went to the one in Santa Barbara. And they had like it's like a little pink kid now in the menu. Right, they it's have the, the only change. one left. That was the original one. It was, yeah. and uh, they eventually did, but that wasn't that went that that maybe goes back like twenty years that they changed the name. No, no, no. I got the story yeah, right here for you. Oh, go ahead. Because if you worked there, I was a manager for a, a Sambo's uh, from nineteen eighty to nineteen eighty three. And they had the little guy in front. They on had the, menu. the little. They had little, uh, the little little guy on the front, and yeah. um, and for three four decades, Sambo started in that one in that one in California. And it was actually up to over a thousand um, stores in the chain, and it didn't really start becoming an issue till the late seventies. Then it started very quickly. It started becoming the name as we became more progressive as a society, and all of a sudden, the meaning behind it uh, became known. And we started getting pressure. I remember as a manager, we started getting pressure. Uh, about the name and they started having protests and like in Connecticut where I was a manager of one there was uh, at the time there was some KKK protests going on where the KKK was starting to become active so that was for or against for I mean no well (laughs) no no the KKK wasn't protesting about Sambo's they were having their own protests but the result of that was media coverage kind of lumped that all in Uh, and so what happened was uh, that it became more and more and more and actually uh, we had bomb threats a couple times and then we had a a fake bomb was left in a restaurant one night Uh, a customer came up to me and said there's something on a booth over there Hmm. and I didn't think anything much of it and it just looked like a little box and I went to pick it up and when I did, I realized that though I could see a couple of wires in it. And I was like, oh, oh, shit. And so I put it back down, evacuated the restaurant, called 911. The Connecticut State Police Bomb Squad comes in. And it was a fake bomb. It was just meant for effect. And the next day in the newspapers, I got shredded because I had picked it up and touched it. And I know how irresponsible it was. I had no idea knowing at that point what it was. Just somebody, a customer said, oh, so, you know, there's something over there on there. I didn't think about it. So what happened after that is the media coverage have ratcheted up even more so about the whole Sambo's thing. So here's the funny part. So Sambo's Corporation decides that we're going to change the name on all of the restaurants because everybody's you know in an uproar over the name. So they changed the name suddenly to No Place Like Sam's. Okay, sounds innocent enough. No Place Like Sam's. We get all our new table tents and we get all our new menus and we get our new uh, outside signage, the whole nine yards. Well, what they did was, and they had the the, the mascot on, on the cover of everything and he had a bow on. Well, they had in red, No Place Like Sam's, Sam, and then they had the bow. So it was no place like Sam Bowes. Oh. That was their way of trying to get around it. True story. I kid you. But not. wait. So when they changed the name, did they still have the black symbol though? The young, the little cartoonish character. Yeah, they, left this, they left the. They well, they they see, modified they, it because they modified, of, well, yeah, but see the. But the fact is, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it could have been called Sam Bowes, and if it didn't have the black uh, figure involved ever. 
then it wouldn't have been a huge deal. Because Sambo no, could be... This is when the politically correct... Uh, yeah, but police the, arrived on the f- f- shores of America about 1981 or so. <laughs> Around the time Reagan became president is when the politically correct police came along. So I got all the stuff in one day from our, our marketing people, and I'm looking at it, and I actually I was uh, crying. I was laughing so hard. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? This is how they got around. No place like Sam Bowes. So we put it up, you know, a segment of people um, didn't get the uh, in-joke, so to speak. And other people, actually customers came up to us and holding up the menus and like, that's really cute. And they got it. It wasn't, you know, you didn't have to be an Einstein to figure out exactly what they had done. But, you know, the interesting part was, was that uh, they went from a thousand plus restaurants within about a year and a half in 1983 to virtually going out of business, except for there was two left because of financial mismanagement corporate stealing those managers stealing all around the country so it was almost like ah, a, it was all oh, i used to get I these news, i used to get these newsletters every I month see. and it would have like it would have like 50 store managers that month who had been arrested for like stealing deposits and you know next month it'd be a hundred assistant managers arrested for stealing deposits you know the bank deposits of the the weekly revenue it was ridiculous but, but isn't, uh, it's, it was almost jim it was isn't almost like a karmatic effect isn't uh Actually, right around that time, too, I think there was a big change in the food industry and there was a lot of competition and all the fast yes. food was getting yes. started. So I don't even think that that really is what killed them. Well, it was financial mismanagement. But it was actually it was the biggest reason of all. I mean, because it's it like really a Denny's, was. you know, I don't know. How well is Denny's? Are they growing? Yeah. Yeah. They no, were they're, I mean, they're doing OK. But look at how. Look at how how many of those are left. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're doing OK, but they're not growing. What, what I mean was that Sambo's was. The, the whole point, the whole concept was their brand. And once that got screwed up, I mean, what are the, how good was the food? It couldn't have been that good. What was it? it was, Standard it was Denny's crap, generic. right? It was, it was Denny's. It was, you know what we were generic. most known for was basically middle of the night. You know, when the bars got out, those bars right across the street and they all came over. The bands came over and, you know, all the people from the bars came over. We'd be packed from like midnight, one o'clock until five, six o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then on the weekends, again, because it was cheap, you know. At the time, I think you could get like a whole, you know, a whole not grand slam, but the equivalent for like a dollar ninety nine or something. And like they that. didn't in those days. They didn't have things like a twenty four hour Jack in the Box either. Right, exactly. You know, your McDonald's closed down at nine ten o'clock at night. Burger King's the same way. So we we in our in that area that I managed it, we were about it. And uh, I tell you what, that I I've thought about often about writing a book about that time because you should. the cast of characters that we used to get in on the overnight shifts, it was really fascinating because we have a big university nearby, a bunch of rich kids university, and uh, it was so you had this dynamic of rich kids in these booths who are all night long sucking down coffee. You know, and not tipping. And then you had, you know, you, you might have these down and out people who didn't have any place really to go. And then you had, you know, the people who were from the bars, you know, and guys, you know, who are obviously going to be hoping to go home with, you know, Mary Sue, you know, at 4 a.m. for a little something, something. Waitress? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was, well, that too. But um, it was a very interesting dynamic. I don't know. I'm assuming it still happens, like in the Denny's at you know 3 a.m. now. I, but as a young person, it was actually quite fascinating to watch 
that whole that it's such a different society. Yeah. You know, from being a from being a musician in oh, the yeah. bars. Well, first of all, I know the whole preempt the pre show which was in the bar itself and watching people and then yep. we often would go to a restaurant uh we had a local a place that had only two or three restaurants in the twin cities area called embers and we used to go there for a while we were there every night and i think the bar seems to me the bars closed at at either 12 or 1 whereas in, in california it's 2 a.m i think they closed at midnight and uh so we went and everybody was you know having a big Double cheeseburgers and stuff there, hamburger royal and all that. But that that was a time when food, the food industry was hugely different then because you didn't have the competition. And you didn't have another thing that I think is really uh, probably ruining the states, which is all this crap, the, you know, this hot pockets shit, this just total garbage. <laughs> you might as well take a garbage can, recycle anything that's actually edible and not poisonous, and put it into these things, you know, stuff like that that's all fat. It's all, you know, ingredients of questionable origin that nobody cares about with the rat hair and the feces and all that and uh, heated up in the microwave. Right, but it's 3 a.m. after a long night. Yeah. You don't care. Yeah, that's like the You've pre- already been ingesting alcohol, poison, and you know, whatever drugs you might be taking. You're, you're already ingesting all of that. You really give a crap about a little bit of rat feces and rat hair. I mean, that's kind of like yeah, the last. sterilizes it. That's, yeah, I mean, it's like the least of your problems after all the other stuff you've been doing all night, yeah. including getting including getting into a couple thousand pound piece of steel and uh, driving on down the road Ooh. with you know, a lot of that stuff in you. Yeah, but, uh, that, uh, the, you're right about the 3 a.m. thing, because also leaving the bar, you might have picked somebody up in the nice yeah. lighting, the nice, you know, subdued reddish glow lighting, sexy lighting of the bar. And then when you got out into those into those uh, parking lot, heavily lit parking lots. Uh, I remember this is a horrible mass, uh, horrible macho joke about something about, yeah, I got her out into the parking lot and uh, went into the glove compartment, gave her a can of dog food and left. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I know. I had to tell it because it's so horrible. It's terrible. You know, it's interesting. Life is very different at 2 a.m. And I think that people who haven't um, really experienced that night, much yeah. – uh, or at all, maybe, you know, if they were teetotalers all their lives or that just wasn't their thing, you know, going out to the bars just wasn't there. Don't really understand. And I don't mean just the partying aspect. I mean, people who work third shift as oh, yeah. somebody who did for years, who worked for years, work. I worked probably six, seven years altogether. The overnight shift getting off, you know, especially when I was in school and I'd, I'd work overnight, get off work at six, seven in the morning, then go off to college all day. I always uh, thought we owned the town. We owned the town. When you were like yeah, driving around from, from 12 to 6, it. there's no traffic. You, well, you have to be the really careful of drunk ours. drivers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially in the summer when it was light, late and stuff, you know. Yeah. And, and yeah. the weather. Well, you know, part of, part of the traveling thing, too, is that you end up in places, odd places at odd hours. And uh, because of that, I've some, sometimes ended up at places like Denny's at uh, 2 in the morning. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun to sort of look around you and look at the other patrons there. And the phrase wretched refuse always (laughs) comes into my mind. Yes, yes. It is interesting, though. I mean, I I know that I'm sure there are people that have done many studies on that whole thing because it really is the difference between 2 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon – is just it's it's stark as far as if you come into places of business at two in the afternoon completely you know the way people are dressed the way people their appearance the way they act it's just so completely different than the overnight people and um 
loose. I've it's met loose. my share of you know people who seemed very happy on that overnight thing, but more often than not, though, it was really more of a depressive kind of atmosphere. Well, Stories. you know the painting Nighthawks. That's the whole point of that painting. Exactly. Just exactly. how depressing and lonely it is. Yeah, I think that, that in general. People that was uh, Edward. What's his name? Who did the painting? Oh, I Lord, remember. I figured you would ask me that, and I can't even remember <laughs> the visuals of it. Uh, are very that, is a, that is a great painting. I mean, it really does, to me, it captures exactly that, just that, that, that nighttime. They say the nighttime is the right time. Uh, it's, the nighttime, to me, is the lonely time. Edward Hopper. Had a, I had Thank half you. of it. That's correct. I had half of it. That's right. Yeah, when I first got to LA, I was I would eat in places, uh, and I was I was alone at the beginning, and um, would eat late at late night in those places that looked just like that. And there was a guy in there who looked like some of the Tom Waits type guy, you know. And I was talking to him for a minute. He goes, "Yeah, I'm a singer. Maybe it was Tom Waits. Maybe this was." <laughs> what did he say? Oh, I'm a singer. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like that. Well, he was like ill shaven, which in those days, you know, now I am, and everybody is out there. But um, in in those days. Uh, if you had like a couple of days beard, unless it was, you know, stylized in a way that was not common at all. I mean, it was basically you were either a bum or uh, somebody who couldn't afford what you know, something to shave with. You know, today it's the opposite. You have to have that. Otherwise, you're nobody. Yeah. The problem is when I get that tour, it's like Yasser Arafat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. And I'm trying to look like George Clooney. It just... Not quite working. He's got that look. Oh, George's got it. George's got everything, including a new bride. Who knew? Oh, that's great. Mm, but it's but it's a lawyer. Yes, yes. The, the divorce will be particularly nasty. Well, one would hope that he signed some kind of a prenup. I know that that's uh, that's you know, if you really love me, you don't need to do that. Well, I love yeah, my money. He got too. married in California. He got married in California. May not do him any good. Oh, did did he get married? I thought he got married in Europe. Don't know. Depend. Oh, she had, you said yeah, if. Okay. No, I think. I, isn't she British? Here we are talking like a bunch of women at the beauty parlor. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. not sexy. Well, none of us. Well, none of us. Um, yeah. What was the last time you saw a heterosexual man reading people? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Luckily, I let my subscription uh, lapse probably <laughs> 10 years ago. It's Well, it's true that the fact that none of us actually know, we know he got married. It's, that's an interesting fact to society in and of itself, though, because, uh, you know, I don't follow any of that stuff. So how do I know? How do, you, how do any of us know? Because it's been all over. Osmosis. It's got, there's a, yeah, there's a penetration uh, point out there, saturation point where, uh, I mean, obviously you're going to know about Ebola because there is a danger and, you know, everybody, it's, it's everywhere, okay? Uh, so um, is George Clooney. Yeah, so is George. I was just going to say, I mean, so I guess this comes from the fact that the guy is totally first level. Anything he does is going to be known. As opposed to, say, there are maybe a lot of people who don't know that Hugh Grant was caught with a prostitute on Sunset Boulevard 20 years ago or something like that. Because he Anna wasn't was first level. Anna was a trans- he was a tranny. Yeah. He was a tranny. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. Uh-oh. So you guys are way ahead of me. Correct, please, again. We said tranny. Uh-oh. <laughs> Boy, and we're and really putting it in today. <laughs> and and, and uh, just to make it worse, it was a particularly ugly tranny, too. <laughs> 
it was it was one that not would not have fooled anyone for a second. That's just weird. But but you know he's British, so. But Sons of Anarchy. Speaking of that, a bloodbath. Too much. Too no, much. but uh, now they got the 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 what's his Venus. name came back. Venus <laughs> came back. Yeah. Oh my God, Venus is back, and Venus is like the best thing on that show at this point. She's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. They've had some. They've had some great stuff on there. Yeah, not this year though. This year they've it's gone completely off the rails in my opinion. It's, you know, it's I'm watching it to the end because I've been watching it yeah, from the too. beginning, but it's been completely gratuitous, over yeah. the top, uh, nonstop bloodbath this year that has there's no to me there's like no coherent storyline left at all. Oh, it's building up for the explosion. You can tell, and well, they it's been one explosion after another, and and it's to, to what purpose? Other than body count, you know, and and like I said to a friend of mine at work, it's like after all the times they've betrayed every other gang in the world, who would have any dealings with the sons at this point? <laughs> number yeah. one, who would deal with them? Number two, there's like five of them left. You're gonna tell me that there's like five or six of them left that some gang couldn't come in to charming and literally seconds and exterminate them. Well, that's probably I, underst- I understand the license though, that you need to carry the show forward to its whatever conclusion, but it's just absurd at this point. It's like there's no who would continue to deal with them. You you will you will know that it's jumped the shark when after an explosion one character turns to another and says, He blowed up real good. <laughs> <laughs> By it's the just, it's 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 a shame. It's a shame. This season has just been a has been a dreadful shame, in my opinion. You know, it was a really good season. Uh, there's been several, but one of the better ones was uh, and now I'm gotta remember his name. Um, who he played the the president's psychiatrist in the West Wing. Uh, Adam, not Adam Arkin. Uh, who are the There's a couple of bridge. Was it? Yeah, I was going to tell you that he's in that now. He's in the bridge, yeah. Uh, uh, but he was in Sons of Anarchy. Point is that he was in that season with the with the neo Nazis. The white racist. And that whole season was really good. And Henry Rollins was in that too. And I didn't that know he, the, I didn't know he could act. Two, and that was the best season. That season was the two. Best season. Season two. Yeah, that was really good. You would you'd like that, Stuart, if you haven't seen it. You'd like the early seasons were really I, good. I, I, have to confess, I have to confess, I've just never seen any of this stuff. I know, and that's bridge, why I'm sorry. The bridge. The bridge for being kind of all over the place this year, I still found to be very entertaining. This, the thing about Sons of Anarchy that's really simple to say is like they used to say that, you know, the Sopranos, for example, and Sons of Anarchy, and uh, what was the name of that? Uh, Driftwood? Is that the name of that Western series? They're Deadwood. all like... Deadwood. 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 Driftwood. <laughs> I didn't watch Driftwood. it, but I looked. I looked at... I watched one. But the point is... These are all like um, Shakespeare on horses, Shakespeare on motorcycles. Well, you know. Sons of Sons of Anarchy is actually from Hamlet. Hamlet. Yeah, it's I mean, mo- so it's all modern day Hamlet. So, but even if you don't know or care about that, it, the structure is so classic that you know, except for this season, they've just had these. The the challenge with the with the white uh, supremacists was really good. It was just a, just a really deep social thing. It was really well written, and yeah, it's got a lot of over the top violence. It always has. Yeah, so, but this year much more so. Oh yeah, no, this year that's Deadwood. Sick. I got to be honest. I would put Deadwood for the th- for the three years that it was on the air, and then it became a dispute between the creator and HBO over dollars, which is what always happens. And it's on Netflix. Uh, and it's on Netflix. I would put Deadwood in my top 
five to seven TV shows of all time. It was extraordinarily well written, well acted. A few of the actors are on Sons, uh, but uh, the actor who played uh, Swear Engine was that was a tour de force performance. And Deadwood really was just a, an amazing story, I thought. But you know, it's again dollars came down. There was a big cast. There was a lot of money involved in it, and um, sometimes the I guess the dollars just don't add up, but. Uh, Homeland came back out last night. Oh, it did. Yeah, oh, they actually did it. They put the first two episodes up last night on Showtime, so there's actually two episodes to begin with. Well, when football uh, season dies out, Stuart, you can uh, maybe consider one or two <laughs> of these things. It. Hate to admit it, but I was watching baseball last night. Oh, that's that's like golf. No. Oh no, 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 quite a bit different. The the, the announcers are not hushed for one thing. Well, that's the only difference. It's too slow. More steroids. Too slow. Yeah. You ever? Heard, do you know that book? Game I have a of friend Shadows? of mine who says that steroids should be mandatory in sports. <laughs> yeah, they should. That way, everybody will oh, be I'm, on an even I'm playing no field. That'll be the even playing field. There we go. There we go. And then everybody can be 400 pounds and drop dead. And, you know, and we can just drag them off the field and throw the next 400 pounder on. You do know. You do know that since competitions and sports have existed, the Roman Empire on, there's been drugs involved, right? Of course. Bicycle races, even pre-1900s, the bicycle races, you know, where they were doing the shit then. And uh, now that everybody's on it. Babe Ruth. No, Babe Ruth, hot dogs and beer. (laughs) Probably During the game. During the game. Yeah, exactly. If, yeah. He could, if he could have done it right out on the field, he would have. The you know, I used to I used to be outraged about that whole topic, and now I just don't care. You know, now it's like you know what, if you if that's what you want to do to get ahead, if you want to if you want to pump your stuff with a bunch of shit, you know what, you're an adult. That's on you. It's the the problem, only problem I still have with it is that it, it gives kids who are trying to come up into that realm. It gives them the idea of, okay, well, you know, if I start taking steroids as a teenager, I too can be, you know, Derek Jeter or, you know, whatever, you know, you name whatever player you want to name. That's the only issue I have with it. But as far as adults at this point, I decided a couple you know, a couple of years ago to just give up my moral high horse <laughs> on that subject and be just like, well, you know what? If I could make you know five million dollars a year or ten million dollars a year playing some sport, and you said, "Okay, Jim, you have to take you know this, this, and this drug to do it," or you can make you know fifty thousand dollars a year or whatever at your job, I'm gonna be probably like, "Okay, well, you know, as long as it doesn't kill me too quick, you know, I'll take that f- drug to make five or ten million dollars a year." I have to wonder whether it's the athletes themselves make these decisions, going, yeah, i got to get some of that, or whether it's more the management money people behind them. I have to ask I my friend Victor. I don't think that anybody is taking steroids who isn't aware of it. Aware, yes, uh, but maybe it wasn't their idea. It you know? doesn't matter. It's their, still their choice. No, it well, doesn't matter in the ethical sense at all. Well, you're talking about peer, kind of peer pressure as far as... Not well, peer. Yeah, but the teams historically... Say say Stewart is playing for the Chicago Bears, and he gets injured. And he's, like, really gimping around. And they're like, but they really need him to play in the second half. Hey, you know, we're going to bring you into the locker room. We're yeah. going to shoot you up with some painkillers so we can get you back out there for the second half. Because, man, the team really needs you, Stewart. That's commonplace. That happens. And guys get their careers and their bodies wrecked 
because of that. I mean, and they'll do it. They'll come in because that's how you prove your manhood. That's how you prove your love of the team. Forget about what it's going to do to you when you're 55 or 60 or, you know, 45 even. You know, what about right now when you're 23 I'm cynical enough to shrug and say, you know, okay, uh, I'm going to get a paycheck anyway. (laughs) Okay, so sorry sorry I let the team down. Oh, well. Well, yeah, but then they'll kick you off. If you have that attitude after a while, though, they'll kick you off the team and get somebody else in who's a, you know, one one year, one year Chicago Bears salary and I'm set for life. Hmm. But, you know, now speaking of Chicago Bears, Jim McMahon, star quarterback (laughs) during the 80s, he's basically toast at this point. He's about my age. I think he's like 52, 53. He doesn't even basically know what day it is at this point. Uh, he's got like early, from my understanding, early onset dementia from uh, can, can I, head can I injuries. You, can, I, can I give you a little piece of, of information? He didn't know uh, what day it was when he was 25. <laughs> well, that's true, too. That's true, too. But it's, it's accelerated badly to the point where I was reading earlier this year that he has to have like notes all around his house. Just wait a minute. Say, wait a minute now. That sounds like me. <laughs> As, as I see the notes behind you, go to the bathroom at 1 p.m. <laughs> I have a whole board behind me. Oh, wait, it is but, 1 p.m. But, you know, there is that. There is that. It's also, they're raised in an environment we poss- can't possibly know. That athletic environment early on that tells you, you you have to be part of the team. And you have to be part of the team. You can't let down the team. That's instilled in these guys, not as pros, but when they're, you know, kids. When they're playing Little League and when they're moving on up through, you know, high school ball and then college ball or maybe the minor leagues or whatever. And that's a, it's a shitload of peer pressure. And then when you add on top of it, the average career span in some of these sports is only a few years. They got to make their money in those few years. So when you go into the locker room at halftime and they say, hey, we want to put a needle in your knee because, you know, we need you out there the second half. You're going to be like, if I don't do it, somebody else will shoot me up, coach. I doubt that anybody's been worried about that at that level. But I, I'm, I'm willing to bet, but I, I, even though I know nothing about sports, I do know a little bit about humans. And I think that there, are, there have been athletes that have been um, reticent to take. I'm talking about steroids and all the other growth hormone and blah, blah, blah. Uh, as far as getting a shot to continue a game, I, those guys are super motivated. And I don't think anybody would go, well, gee, coach, uh, don't you think? I, I doubt. That sounds no. way less possible to me than... No, yeah, it may have and, happened and, once, you know, but it, it doesn't sound I, like it'd be common. I think if you hooked people up to a lie detector and uh, said to them, there, here's an artificial way that you can do your job even better and you can make three times, four times, 10 times, 20 times the amount of salary you make right now by taking this substance of some sort or another, the vast, vast majority of people would take it they would tell you maybe hmm. no i wouldn't do it no that wouldn't be ethical no i you know i wouldn't want to risk my health that way but i think that if you hook people up to a lie detector i think you would find that the vast majority secretly really would do it so therefore that's why i kind of i've gotten rid of my uh indignant outrage about athletes doing it because frankly if somebody offered me a way to make 10 times my salary right now doing what i do for a living you know by you know staying up all night to do what i do or something with some drug i don't know man i'm married and i got bills you know you know would i would i ingest that drug to do my job you know even better you know it 
it's easy to just say, I would never do that, but mm, I think most would. Do you agree with that assessment of humanity, Stuart? Uh, of humanity? Possibly. Of course, we're talking about so sports, people, so that has little to do with humanity. Yeah, but, I go know, but well, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I remember my sister once talking about a football coach that uh, the at the time Baltimore Colts had hired, and she said, this is a good thing for them because he knows not to treat his players like humans. He treats them like football players. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I think there is that, uh, that, that, that sort of distinction. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm someone who very strongly believes in sports sense, but in the philosophical sense of free agency and things that people choose that I disagree with and I think are stupid, you know, that's their right to do that. Haven't you ever uh, haven't you ever turned something down that would have made a lot of money for for whatever reason? I have not had the opportunity to have that sort of moral God, that's interesting. <laughs> moral choice. That's interesting. Uh, I, I'd love to have that come along. Well, for ex- just this is just an example. I might even if I could think about it, I might be able to come up with something better. But I know that in one at one point in my life, um, I lost fifty thousand dollars. Because I didn't want to say a certain thing that um, I don't want to go into details. It's a very personal thing, but it had to do with the judgment. And I would have gained 50 grand, and I'm talking at least, at least 20 years ago, so it's maybe let's say it's more like $200,000. Uh, and it had to do with, uh, well, I can say this much it had to do with a family member's wishes after they passed away. And it was a very simple question. So you do this, you're going to get $200,000. If you do something else, and by the way, it wasn't any huge deal. I, I guarantee it, was, it wasn't anything that would cost anybody any money or, or cause any injury. It was a very simple, it was a symbolic gesture. And I said, you know what? He, I know this is what he wanted, and I'm not going to do that. So what am Simple I, some kind of saint? I, I, don't, I don't agree, because I, I don't think I'm that exceptional. Well, I, I, I think that's also a very different area than what we were talking about a minute ago. I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a very, not just because it's personal, um, but there, that, that goes into a different set of ethical standards and moral standards that, that apply, I, I think. It's kind of like uh, I always used to swear I would never do drug testing to get a job. You know, I was just like, I found it, you know, I found it to be very invasive. And, you know, I suppose there are instances where it, it does serve a real purpose. Well, you're driving a school bus of children. I think the, the school district has a right to know that you're not out, you know, doing lines of coke all night kind of thing. That I get. But for you, just your average every day. And I always used to say, I'm never going to do it. I will never freaking, I will never go to a job that makes me have to do that. Well, my wife and I moved to Florida for her to go to college and I needed a job and it was a restaurant job. And in Florida, there's not much else other than restaurants and beggars can't be choosers. And the, one of the requirements was going wow. to a, a lab place and doing the piss test. And, you know, and for like two days, I kind of hemmed on hot on it because it's like for 30 some odd years, I said I would never do it. I would never do it. I would never do it. But. I'm looking at our bank account that we moved down there with and watching it already starting to dwindle and like, well, I have a finite amount of time that I have to get a job. And you know what? I, I drove like four or five miles to that lab, went into, and I was sitting in there. I literally sat for like 10 minutes in the parking lot while I mm-hmm. was debating whether I was going to go in there or not. And I was just like, you know what? I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. 
but then, you know, I thought about my wife and it's like, I love my wife. I want to provide for my wife. And I went in there and I went in and I did it and I hated myself. When they gave me the cup, I was pissed off. You know, when I so gave them, so to speak, when I gave them their <laughs> cup back, I felt like I was betraying all of my principles and, and, and tossing aside uh, <laughs> ethics, personal ethics that I said I would never do. That you tossed aside the cup with its contents. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, was this just one time to get I got, hired? I got or the job. Did, did the they continue job. the testing or was it one time to get hired? It was one time to get hired. And, that and that's, why, make any that's sense. what I tried to tell myself. I tried to tell myself if, no you got hurt, if, you got, if you got seriously hurt on a job, then you could have to be subject to testing. Yeah, but, but other that than makes that, no it sense was one if you think about it. And, uh, you know what? And I got the job and I was there for the next four years while she was going to college. And then we moved back uh, to Connecticut. And, you know, I, there was a part of me that was like, well, you know what? You had to do what you had to do. You have a wife who you love and who you need to help and support and, and do anything to make sure that you're okay. But more importantly, that she's okay. And that she has a roof over her head and food and things like that. And sometimes in life, things just are not that pat and that easy. And sometimes you do have to look at the overall picture and say, okay, well, my, my ethics have always dictated this, but are they really situational? And, you know, I've always been partially disappointed in myself that I didn't try to go find another job instead of that one. We forgive you. But, you know, it was it was a big deal to me, Randy. It really wow. was because it was for for many years. I was like, I'll never do that. I will. I will never take and a why job. Why were you? Part. I'll never do that. Well, it wasn't because I guess I just felt like. What I do on my off time, I'm not an air traffic controller like my brother was. Mm -hmm. I, I don't work. I'm like I'm not like my wife who works around surgeries all day long mm -hmm. and, and, and dispensing of drugs and anesthesia and things like that. I don't. I never had a job that was before that was so important that I felt like it really mattered to make sure that the person is drug free completely and drug free. I don't mean, you know, if you're going on smoking a little weed on Friday night or Saturday night and you don't have to work until Monday morning, who cares? I mean, that yeah. part, who cares what I'm talking but that's about? That's what's is, going to show up on the test. But this is exactly. But, yeah. And it's going to, and it's going to show up. And that, and I guess that's how, part of why I always was always so against it because it was not a true barometer because I could have smoked a joint in April, never smoked yeah. it again. I had maybe didn't smoke for five years before that smoke a joint in April. I go for testing in September. If they do the hair follicle test, it's still there. All it's going to show is that I, at some point in time in, in the back in the last year, smoked smoked weed. Yeah, but you're telling me you didn't inhale, and there was a guy yeah. next to you on the bus. Well, so I guess I always felt like it was a very invasive because it yeah. didn't tell the true picture. It doesn't show the true picture of me or my lifestyle or the things that I do. All it shows is that maybe one time in April, I smoked a joint one night. Oh, big deal. And so that I guess that's how I always looked at it before that. It's like it didn't give a true picture of me. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that. I I find it uh, sickening that they do this for inconsequential, and sorry to say this, jobs. Meaning, like you said, you defined it, uh, people who are driving people around. Any, anyone who's, who's at the wheel, by the way, professionally, need maybe that's justified. And sure. anything to do with medicine. And I, there are a thousand things we could come up with. 
but there are 20,000, like if you're working in a restaurant or something, it's actually not a big deal. Now, after an in, as long as af, after an incident, I mean, if, if you, you know, burn 15 customers with hot oil, you maybe you do need that test then to see if you were drinking and uh, taking drugs. But as an entrance exam to a job, and, it, and anyway, if they don't keep doing it, then it makes no sense to me because, okay, they got you. So you didn't do anything for, you know, three months or something, and then suddenly you could start drinking and, or, or you know, drinking being you know, any drug, really, to, any abuse, right. any substance abuse, and they wouldn't know. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's, kind, a of compl- a, it gives it's a kind of a sickening yeah, thing that that's so generalized. Yeah, it's an incomplete picture that has long-term ramifications. Yeah. It can result in you not getting jobs. It can result in you losing jobs. Uh, the the so, ramifications are so severe on it, on something that doesn't give a true picture that, uh, that I guess that's why I always for many, many years was so ardent. And I still am adamant against it outside of certain areas. Outside of certain, there are certain very serious areas. But I'm sorry, being a waiter in a restaurant? Are you kidding me? <laughs> that That's... Well, that's I'm, I'm a chemist who uh, researches siloxane chemistry, and I had to pee in a cup before they would give me the job. Now, the funny thing was, though, I mean, this is you know, a company in a you know, very conservative part of the Midwest, and uh, I was living in Austin at the time they hired me, and they wanted me to take a drug test down there. The difficult thing was finding anybody in Austin who did drug testing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, there you fail a drug Whoa. test if you come out negative. Yeah. And I finally said, okay, well, just go see your physician. Your physician can do this. So I went to see my puzzled by the whole thing and said, you know, I've been in practice for 25 anybody's ever asked me that and uh, she had to spend the afternoon making lots and lots of phone calls to find a lab who would take my uh, my urine sample hmm. oh yeah right because it would depend on the lab not the physician yeah they just um, mark off what they want yeah yeah exactly none of the local labs did that just because in austin nobody really cared well they could have always sent it to the fbi at langley yeah, i think she ended up like mail ordering it to somebody langley i don't know I'm waiting for them to start having to, you know, everybody who's on unemployment, uh, you know, well, welfare, welfare, they're already doing some of the drug testing, but uh, which has been found to be a total bullshit. It's so bogus. lame. It's like they've shown already that in the states that do that, that uh, it's lower than the general population. People are not taking their uh, welfare cards and going down to the corner and buying crack with it. It's just silly now. Oh, God it's damn it, I would. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you know what? what a, the abuse used to be in place years ago before the reforms happened in the '90s, and I'm not saying they were perfect reforms, but before that, it was it was uh, it was rampant in many areas. I I was a root salesman for a few years, uh, driving uh, for Hershey ice cream, and I was I would go to all the little bodegas in, in New Haven and Bridgeport, Connecticut, and it was it was hard work. It was long days and 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 back of a freezer truck all day, and then coming into the store and putting it into the freezers and putting it all those it those long days. Well, I used this is back in the mid '80s, and I used to see, this is when they would literally give the government cheese, where they would give like 20, 25 pound blocks of cheese uh, to people that were you know down on their luck, and you know. And I'm sure that 98% of the people used it for its intended purpose. But what I found interesting was I would be in these bodegas sometimes, and you'd see these women come in with with uh, some of the government cheese. They would sell it to the bodega store owners for like three bucks, five bucks, maybe whatever. 
and you'd see the bodega owner, they'd go right behind the counter to their little delis because they all had these little tiny little delis and they'd have the slicer and they're shaving it all up as fast as they could because they, because it was like identifying marks stamps on the cheese that it was government surplus cheese. So the, the, the bodega owner, he'd slice it all up and he'd put it in little packets and put it in the out in, for sale to people. He's making hand over fist. He's probably making a hundred bucks or something like that on that entire thing sliced up, that entire cheese sliced up that he just paid somebody three or four or five bucks for. She's going out in the crack dealers because crack had just become huge. She's going out and she's getting crack from the dealers. And a lot of times she's got a kid in tow. It was so disheartening because she'd have these little kids and they'd be all dirty and dirty clothes and all that shit. And this cheese, it's supposed to really be for the family the bodega owners are making a fortune on it and giving them a pittance so they could go out and buy crack or, you know, cigarettes or because they would sell the cigarettes individually also at, at a huge markup. But it's interesting, this this whole underlying area that 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 was out there. I, I don't shocked. know. I, mean, I know, I know. I mean, people acting unethically, I know. Well, no, um, but people also are taking a well-meaning program and abusing it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this kind of thing never happens. It was, it was really at that point, I was actually happy when I left the job, number one, because I got robbed a few times and got beat a couple of times because the owners would pay me in cash. And I had a safe in my truck that you'd, spin, you'd spindle it. So I couldn't get into it. And even though I had signs all over it saying the driver can't get into the safe, people would have seen They couldn't read. They could. And yeah, I'd have store owners with guns out making sure I could get in and out of the stores. It was pretty bad because this was, like I said, when crack was first coming out. And uh, it was really, I went in as a, like a wicked liberal and it was quickly turning me away from that. I was actually glad I left that job because it was, it was starting to make me paint all of society with that same brush of that little, just that little uh, microcosm of people taking advantage of the system that I saw, you know, and cause I'm, for every person I saw doing that, I'm sure that program helped many, many people, but you know, it's uh, it, it was tainting my whole experience being a liberal <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> Uh, I think there's, again, that old expression about a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged by reality. Oh. <laughs> uh, there, there may be some truth to that. There may be some truth to that. Do we have a I happy... Still, I still retain my liberalism, although I, I, I dose it now with a lifetime of experience to realize that not everything is as it seems. I think I voted. I sent you my... Voted? Yeah, I, uh, you know, there's, you do know there's an election coming up in November, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I knew nobody's going to vote. Then they complain well, I'm after. Going to. I'm going oh, okay. to. And, uh, well, Senator, well, here's our problem. We, we have a gubernatorial election coming up. And, you know, both candidates have just been, you know, the Republican and the Democrat have been uh, inundating the airwaves uh, with, you know, basically their ads are what a horrible person the other guy is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I've come to believe both of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, same here, same in my state. Exactly the same in my state. That's yeah, it. these oh. are just two horrible human beings, and I lose no matter which of these guys wins. Yeah, well, then that's the way it's always been. I mean, it's like if you watch that uh, PBS series about the Roosevelts, and you look at the political cartoons from the 1800s, so many people think that we're living in some kind of new times. It's like we're not living in new times. We have new technology, but that's it. I mean, if you look at the political cartoons from the 1800s, you know they hated the politicians back then every bit as much as we do now. 
and the politicians back then were every bit as scummy as they are now. Yeah, and nothing changes. No, nothing whenever, changes. No, whenever I see one of those stupid Facebook posts about no president in history has been as horrible as the one we have now, I'm thinking, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> yeah, they had that every <laughs> every president. It's like, oh my god, where have all, you been? They all <laughs> suck. Just it's some suck less than others. That's basically what it comes down to. I have not found that to be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we? Oh, do, so, some haven't sucked here. You're saying? No, no, no. He's saying that saying they all suck. Any of them that have sucked any less? <laughs> <laughs> well, all yeah, I know. It's it, it, it would be wonderful if it really was Jimmy Stewart and Mr. Smith goes yeah. to Washington. But yeah. the fact of the matter is, is it's not. It's not. No, in fact, and, even that because what Jimmy Stewart was trying to do was take money out of my pocket involuntarily to go give it to you know some people he liked. That would, yeah, that's one, one, absolutely one way of looking at it for sure. <laughs> Boy, this is. I, I, I get, I get a leery, little leery when I say my pocket, though. But you know, Dennis that, Leary. Yeah, you know, that's that's a you know that's open to interpretation for any way anybody wants to look at it. Anything optimistic anybody can say before we close this thing off? It's been pretty depressing in the last few minutes. <laughs> the elections will be over in five weeks. That's. The optimistic part. Yeah. Well, I hope no, my I'm, vote counts. I've got nothing optimistic. I'm just going to go slip my wrists as soon as we're done. No, don't do that. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it right now. I'm horribly <laughs> offended because I know somebody who slit their wrists yesterday. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> On the other hand, wristing slits is a good pastime. If you've now, ever so done you that. Say you're voting. You live in France. I and, do. And, and I actually liked when Scotland did their referendum a few weeks ago on independence, which actually, you know, fought, failed. But I liked what they did better. 16-year-olds and up could vote, but you had to actually be there at the time. You didn't have to be a Scottish citizen, but you had to be living in Scotland at the time to be able to vote. And if you were a Scottish citizen who was living, say, in the UK or living in America or, uh, you know, France or whatever, you didn't get to vote. It was only people who were there because they're under the assumption it directly affects those who are actually there. And I love that. I absolutely love that. I, you know, no offense, but I don't think that somebody living in France or I had a, uh, a guy from, from Google uh, Plus that I was friendly with for some time who lived in Italy and he voted in the, the last presidential election. Even though he's Italian, I guess by birth he has dual citizenship, mm. but he's like never lived in the U.S., oh. but he got to vote. And I've always felt like, I, you know. I, that should only be for people who are directly affected. But. Yeah, well, how about paying income tax in a country? Is that directly affected enough for you? You're paying income tax in the U.S.? Oh, I have to file every year. I'm not saying I'm making enough money to pay tax, but... Uh, <laughs> no, it's, yeah, but you, I, I find it here. Let me explain something. I find that it's absurd that I'm voting in the California gubernatorial re, uh, uh, election. I don't think I should have any say at all. Right. They, but they don't nuance it, so that's part of it. Uh, I'm not saying I wouldn't vote. I'm not saying but I, I probably For would. the senatorial, you're talking about stuff that's really important to any citizen, no matter where they live. So you have to be able to do it. As for the nexus with the state of California, it's, that's the last state. I, the way the law works, the last place you lived is where you vote. So really? okay. it's kind of stupid in a way. But on the other hand, I don't, I'm not going to be... I wouldn't care about voting for the governor of Minnesota, so it's probably just as well 
to vote for. I, I suppose California. the other way of looking at the whole, the pre, say, the presidential part voting is, is it does affect you in some small way or no, in some not way? Not that small. Not that small. Well, not that small, but uh, I don't know. I still like the Scotland method of you actually have to be physically in Scotland at that time, and I like if sixteen and up, because you know what, it affects those sixteen and seventeen year olds. What happens, you know? What happens for the future of the country, you know, does affect them as well. So, you know, if it gets anybody else to vote, I mean, other than going to the Australian system where by law you have to vote. I think they should do that in the United States. I think so, too. You know, in Australia, you get fined. If you don't vote, it's illegal and you get fined. Well, the point is that if you did have to vote, then there wouldn't be any of this kinds of gerrymandering that's going on now. Well, there exactly. may be gerrymandering of the boundaries, right? The districts, exactly. but they couldn't they couldn't prevent minority legitimate citizens from voting because they would have the, they would have to vote, and that would be yep. the there's, end. There, but on there, the other, there's an implicit assumption here, though, yeah. that more people voting is better. And what I would recommend, <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Is, you're right. <laughs> again, circling back to something we talked about earlier, go to Denny's at 3 a.m. and look around you and sit. And they're the ones oh. voting. Yeah. Okay. Sold. So what do we want? All the rich white men to only voting? We already had that. It didn't work. Oh, well, there's that. Yeah, but they're they don't have that great of a turnout either. Okay, I don't know that uh, ethnic demographic uh, particularly determines turnout. Uh, or up to me, I would have only people who believe what I believe voting. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. I, just, I I look at it to say I look at voting the same way I look at jury duty. It, it it's it's my civic duty as a as a participating citizen of the United States or as somebody who should be a participating citizen of the United States. We're all collectively in it together as far as we have to live with each other, whether we like it or not, whether I like your point of view or you like my point of view or not. We still, at the end of the day, we have to live together. We have to find a way to coexist all these different views and all the different ways of looking at it. And, uh, and and I don't subscribe to the less is more. I don't. I think that the problem we have now is too many people have taken a pass on their responsibility as citizens and the corporations and the, the, the powers that be, that's exactly what they want. They want people to stay home. They want people to not give a shit. They want people to let rich, white, old men make their decisions for them. That's what it's, it's what far too many people want. And that's what's led to us to where we're at today. I have a question, by the way. So is that population of rich white men growing faster than the rest or not? Because they're taking 99% of the pie, right? Well, that's really not quite true. And they're also paying a disproportionate uh, of the taxes as well. And I, I know that argument. Someone who is extremely much not a rich man. <laughs> No, I know that argument. But anyway, besides that, the though, are they growing? Their tax rates for rich white men are much, much, much lower. Yeah, but again, if you, if you look at much lower. Yeah, but yeah, well, the effective tax rate isn't because in the 50s, you basically hire, like, it, no matter how they set the tax system up, you, you hire some accountants, you hire some lawyers, yeah. and no, nobody was paying that 90% tax rate in the 1950s. Yeah. No, no, but they were paying a lot more than they are now. In terms of a proportion of tax revenues, no, they weren't. Simple as that. They just weren't. Uh, now they're paying a disproportionate amount of the tax revenue, and you know that's fine. Right? That a whole different argument. Um, so, uh, the my, question, the question I asked you, though was: Is the privilege crash? 
the question I asked is, is the privileged class, as, we were, as it were, growing in population? I don't think so. Or shrinking. You know what I mean? It because depends on how you define privileged class. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're talking about the rich old white men because what I, the point is the old men well, are going to die. Old is never going. Well, old is never going to increase. Well, that's well, but what I mean is because we mentioned old, there's going to you know there is a revolution happening in birth rates and stuff like that. For example, white people will be in a will be in a minority in the well, United States in what two like one year, two years, some no, year? there there is a twenty fifty. If you talk about old, oh, twenty fifty. Okay. Yeah, if you talk about old in general, there's a disproportionate voter turnout uh, among older people. Okay, whether you know yes. white, black, whatever. Okay, and what we see in the U.S. Uh, and again, I always hesitate to get political but what I know we see you is a massive massive transfer of wealth from younger poorer people just to sort of trying to get started into older wealthier you know it, 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 we're taking from the have-nots and giving to the haves but it's a generational thing it's not I in my mind it's not racial it's not a gender it's age mm-hmm. I would not want to okay. be right I mean, now the guys now, the, the people who are, are sort of in the, in the wealthiest demographic is, in fact, older people, and yet we get the discounts. Right. <laughs> I can't right. figure that one out. The right. guy who should get the discount is the poor 25-year-old couple who are trying to raise a couple of kids, and you know they're not making a lot of money yet. You know They're still early in career and all that stuff, and you know they're paying full boat, and they're getting that is, half off. That is it's absolutely correct, and it's like uh, in, in my area right now, well, not right now, but for a while now, a lot of the older people have been have been railing against our property taxes like in our town and have been voting down school budget after school budget because they don't want their tax rates to go up and so forth. But meanwhile, the vast majority, because they're all like, well, our kids aren't at home anywhere. Well, no shit, Sherlock, because when you were younger and you had kids using the school system and using the roads and using the town services, the people that were older than you were paying the taxes that built those schools and that kept the, the teacher salaries going and so forth when you were young and not making as much and didn't have a lot. But now that you've gotten older and your kids are grown and now you have no more use for the town service and you have no more use for the schools. Now you want to cut everything out. And, and but you were you were okay 30 years earlier with, with benefiting from the other people. And as a society, it's like, you want those people behind you. You want those children to get good educations so they can join the workforce so that they can be earning a living so that the, when you get to be 75 and 80 and 90 years old, as many are living to nowadays, you have services still in place because they're working to pay for your services now. Because let's face it, you know, a lot of the services now are based on costs that are from today, not from when that 90 year old person was working 40 or 50 years ago. And they forget that off. The problem, they, though, they forget that. Yeah, the, yeah. Again, I don't know how it is in your state. In my state, the problem is most of that money is not going into paying the teachers or the building schools or whatever. It's paying pensions. There are people who are making in pension money two, three times what they ever made in salary exactly. uh, as workers, and that's right. where the money is going. And when I look at it, I say, well, I feel a bit resentful here because I'm not getting service for the money I'm paying. Uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm apparently a horrible human being. Well, it's not an easy issue. I don't have. And I, I would be a horrible human being anyway. <laughs> I wish I had a magic wand on all that. And you know what? Frankly, I'm a state worker, so I'm I'm automatically hated to begin with, anyways. Just because of the fact that I'm a state worker. Period. Uh, that makes me. You know, I might as well be a teacher because teachers and state workers. Pariah. Yeah. Well, it's easy to hate us at this point. Um, but oh, hey, you still, like, in my, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'll, you'll like me until I retire. Believe me. <laughs> I, I, I came along so late in the game for my particular job that the, the pension system that was in place for employee state employees, many, for many, many years before me is no longer, it's available to them who are already retired, but mine's already been slashed down to like a fraction of what theirs is. You know, it, it, it used to be you, you could retire at 55 and, and that was always a joke. But now I was like, for me, I won't be until I'll be in my 70s probably. But technically, it's like 67 now or something like that. But, you know, you get these people who are whining about, oh, I can't retire at 55 like, you know, they did 20 years ago. Well, you know, duh. I mean, people live longer now. Yeah. People and people are active longer now. When my old man you know, was working for the railroad as he was like in mid mid level management, you know, and a lot of them were retired at 55, but a lot of them also dropped dead or, you know, died in their sixties or early seventies. People live for, you know, so much longer now that I do. I support the argument that you, we can't be having people just retiring at a young age and paying them to be retired. We can't. I know that's blasphemy, but it's the truth. I think we need to pay people to retire and let them retire and get all that money and then take another job that isn't even uh, registered and make even more money. <laughs> no, actually, oh, actually, all kidding aside, I think that I always thought that retirement should start at about 16 or 18, maybe after you get out of high school, and continue till you're about 40. And then once you've done all the shit that's fun to do and we want to do... <laughs> Profiting from excellent right. health. And he dropped dead on the job. No, then you, well, then later, you later, go, later. you work from, say, 40 to 80. Went. It's kind of high-minded, too. That's that's kind of like with the restaurant <laughs> business. I always, my standard joke is I'm going to retire four days before they slide me into the oven. That's kind yes. of how, you know, <laughs> it's kind of how I look at it. I mean, I don't have any big hopes and dreams at Jesus, this there's point. There's a Nazi frankly, Germany but, joke there somewhere. Well, not really. Stuart. But, um I don't have any big hopes and dreams of, of having, you know, this glorious 15 or 20 year retirement where my wife and I, you know, just wake up every day and go for a stroll and have coffee and, you know, and play golf. That's know, what mine is like, minus the golf. Um, because partially because I fucked up my life during the retirement years of 18 to 40, you know, like I said before, partially because I fucked those years up. You know, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to be working until probably I'm in well into my 70s. It's the way it goes. But I think that for most people nowadays, it's going to be that way. Don't they force you to retire no. at some age? Depends on your no. job. Yeah, mine, it doesn't. No, I had a coworker no, of mine. I had a coworker of mine. He was a he was a, a clerk, and he worked until he was almost 87. Jesus. And only, yeah, and he, and the only reason he retired was because he took a fall on his steps outside the courthouse and broke his arm. And then from there, when you're 87, that's yeah, a, downhill. a serious. Right. And well, BB King was, is BB King is uh, playing. He's 89. He just got sick. Actually, so he actually, he just had to cancel his tour. Yeah, he got sick. He has he a got problem. Sick. But you know, I think we're going to see we're, we're of generations. And I look at my uh, niece and nephews now who are like teenagers. It's like you guys, unless you plan, slackers, 
you guys are going to be working until you're like 80 years old. So you better enjoy your time right now, because unless you come up with some widget that can sell for millions of dollars, you're working a long time. Well, I came so up with those widgets. Goes. I'm still working. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. But I made know, everybody around me rich. <laughs> but you know what? I At the same time, I'm grateful I have a job right now for all my bitching and moaning. You know what? I have a job. My wife has a job. We have health insurance. We get you know some paid days off. We have a roof over our heads and food. And you know what? There's a lot of people who can't make those same claims. So every time I feel like bitching and moaning, it's like, you know what? Every time I wake up and I say, oh, I don't want to go to work, which, by the way, I do have to split in a minute. I realize it's like, you know what? Shut the fuck up. You, you have it made compared to probably 90% of the world. In this moment, I have it made. My wife, my wife works four jobs, so I don't have to. I, I work <laughs> two jobs right now. My wife works four jobs. You know, it, it, we're doing what we All have right, to do. All right, Stuart, how many jobs does your wife work? Oh, probably half a dozen. <laughs> okay, you win. Yeah, the, the days of the days of you know of a mom being home with the apron on all day, dad going into the office, you know, from eight to four and coming home and you know with a cardigan sweater on and you know then the martini. Those days are dead and done. They're done. Leave and it to Beaver. Yeah, you know, those days are over and they're never coming back. And that's just now you're going to have to scramble and you're going to have to work hard. Just and speaking of scrambling and working hard. Time to go to the salt right. mines. Time to get my gear on. Time to start the porn show. Leave the bottle, episode 37. Rather long one. We're, uh, what, uh, one and a half. Uh-oh. Hour and a half. See you next time. See you next time, guys. See you next time. And we're still on until I click this thing.